Hi, my name is Agile, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon, and I believe you should too. Just go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. Welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener, to this, our back issue edition of our podcast, where we pick a single issue, character, or story arc and dig in deep. I'm George, and with me as always is Jason. Hey, everybody. And we've also got Guano Guy himself, Mark, back with us this week. Glad to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. And before we get into that story arc this week, I want to tell all our podcast listeners out there about our drawn and paneled giveaway contest that we're doing right now. We're in the second week. It is sponsored by Scout Comics, and they are giving us one, two, three, four, five, count them, five number one issues from their catalog. Jason, that's a pretty daggum good haul to be given away for free, and all you have to do is submit an iTunes review, send us a picture at drawn at genxgrownup.com, and you're in the contest. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Scout Comics is really hot right now, and they're putting out some great books, so this is a great chance leave us a review and you might get a new comic or five new comics or five new comics yeah (laughs) mark have you read anything from scout comic books before yeah we reviewed a bunch of scout comics in the good old smoke (laughs) town yeah Absolutely. Done quite a few of their books on the Mm -hmm. old Comic Sans series that we used to do on YouTube. Right. They're a favorite of our show, for sure. Now, speaking about old stuff, Jason, what are we going to talk about this week in Drawn and Paneled? Well, George and Mark, we're going to dive in deep to 1991 for the Marvel epic crossover, The Infinity Gauntlet. Nice. So tell us a little bit about some of the keys that came from this story arc. I know that placing a book value is a little bit difficult because we're talking about six issues over the whole limited series, the whole story arc. But talk to us about some of the things that are important in the books, like specific issues that our listeners can go and grab if they want to try and collect or if they want to grab the whole series. Right. Well, this one's a little bit odd as in that It's a big epic story. It's known for just the entirety of the work, the artwork, all the characters involved. If I was going to pick a key issue, it would probably just be number one. I've seen that one go for about $25 uh, if you're going to get it, uh, buy a graded copy of it. Wow. Okay. uh, Well, $25 is not graded. If you were going to buy a graded copy, it would be over $100. Uh, the the rest of the books are fairly reasonable, $10, $5. But I would recommend if you want to read the story, there's plenty of places, you know, Comixology, Marvel Unlimited, or you could pick up a trade paperback and do it the old fashioned way because the whole story is worth having. Now, there is the big prequel to the series, though, the Thanos quest that was just two issues. And those ones are worth a pretty penny. Oh, really? So the Thanos quests are worth more than the Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah, preceded it by about a year, and the high grades are worth 100 bucks. Yeah, they're starting to cool off a little bit. There was a lot of speculation because it's about Thanos collecting the Infinity mm-hmm. Stones, and, and they thought that would play a role in the movie. They're starting to cool off. Uh, You might still find some that are in the $100 range if it's a really nice copy, but they're getting more affordable. And again, you can find those in trade paperback as well and read the story. Sure. Well, for people out there who are collecting, it sounds like you've got two great story arcs. We're going to focus specifically on Infinity Gauntlet today, but the Thanos quest, those two issues, that definitely goes hand in hand. Obviously, we just had the Avengers movie coming out. We've got another one coming out, what, next year? Is that right? That's right. Next May, I believe, will be the uh, fourth Avengers film. So you guys might want to start grabbing those books now because who knows, they might start jumping up in value when that movie comes out as well. That's right. The comic speculation folks may be jumping on those, so get them while you can. <laughs> and get ready to sell if you've already got them. <laughs> and with that, let's dive right into the episode. All right. Doctor, you and your daughter try the other way. I'll stay here. You two may not be able to get through here and Clark Kent might not be able to either, but Superman can and it's time he tried. Hey there, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. 
I'm John, and along with Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner All right, guys, this was an epic book, but there were a lot of big names that worked on this book. And when you just look at the credits, there's a lot of folks involved with this book. But I want to get started with the writer, Jim Starlin. Are right. you guys a name among names, right? <laughs> yes. He's known mostly for a lot of the cosmic Marvel stuff. I mean, he got really famous with this Infinity Gauntlet, but he'd been with Marvel for a while. Uh, he created Thanos, Drax, Gamora. He revived. Oh, wow. Yeah, he did a lot of work with Adam Warlock, uh, but he's also known for creating Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu, which there's oh, rumors really? of a, there's rumors of a Shang-Chi movie coming down the line at some point. So, yeah, he's a pretty prolific guy for sure. Mark, did you ever have any experience reading Jim Starlin other than Infinity Gauntlet? Yeah, he had a, he had a bit of a run on Batman where he did Batman the Cult. That's right. So that was a popular Batman story. And uh, yeah, he also, he wrote on Batman for a while. He was writing the main Batman story for a bit. Uh, he did uh, Ten Nights of the Beast, which was a big one. That was a really good old Batman story. Cool. There's no question that the writer tied this entire series together because we know that a lot of the other artists kind of jumped around from person to person. It wasn't always the same person doing the art or the ink or the color. Let's talk a little bit about them. I want to talk about my favorite artist of all time, George Perez. I know oh, yeah. he may not yeah. be everybody's favorite artist, but he's kind of near and dear to my heart because he was so heavily involved in the New Teen Titans series, which was my first series that I really gravitated toward as a young lad and yeah. George Perez he worked on this series but he didn't do the whole series all the way through yeah well that well I mean one thing with George Perez is he always does such detailed work that right a single page feels like several pages because he packs so much into each page so many panels so many characters so yeah sure a few issues in yes somebody had to pick something up <laughs> right. Well, he also was still tied into his DC contract at the time and was still working on his Wonder Woman run, which is a good run of Wonder Woman comics. And he wanted to finish that up. So he uh, turned over the art duty to another guy, Ron Lim. Mm -hmm. OK, so so he didn't leave necessarily because he was tired or they wanted to get rid of him. He had other work that he was doing at the time and he needed to concentrate on that. And this was kind of a one off, a limited series. Nobody thought it was going to be the giant movie extravaganza that it is now, I'm sure, at the time, because, you know, there weren't really movies for comics back then in 91, I don't think. No, well, so, if there were. They weren't very good. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those awful Justice League or Avengers oh, Captain America stuff with the horrible outfits. The good old Hulk versus Thor movie that right. came yes. out. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Ron Lim. Now, I don't know an awful lot about him. Jason, what did Ron Lim do besides this series? He was known for his work on Silver Surfer, which also Jim Starlin worked on, which set a lot of groundwork for Infinity Gauntlet. And I know, Mark, you're a big Ron Lim fan, aren't you? Yeah, because he also drew Captain America during my childhood. So that's where I really knew him from and loved his oh. style for Cap. And you can yep. see during the Infinity Gauntlet story how well he draws Captain America. And it's interesting to note, Jason, talking about Silver Surfer, that was one of the early characters in this Infinity Gauntlet series. In the first few pages, you see Silver Surfer. So Jim Starlin and Ron Lim coming together on that character must have felt just like being at home. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure. And what's funny is that you can tell a distinct uh, change between George Perez and Ron Lim, but I still think it, I don't lose anything with the story. The art's still fantastic and flows throughout, but there is 
a definite difference between their art styles, but it it works for me. Yeah, it's there's definitely a big difference. I noticed it myself, and I'm not the comic book aficionado that either of you gentlemen are, but even I noticed differences when Perez was doing their art and Ron Lim. Mark, uh, did you pick up on anything? You're a creator. You've mm-hmm. worked with artists yourself doing Guano Guy and some of your other work. Was there anything that you noticed in the series from a creator standpoint that you could pinpoint and say, oh, well, they switched here and maybe this is why they switched at this time. Or do you think it was just all about timing with the Wonder Woman stuff? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it had purely to do with just the scheduling. It certainly wasn't from uh, dissatisfaction with George Perez's work. I mean, it was very detailed, very pretty looking. Uh, but having already worked with Ron Lim, he was a great guy to pull in as a replacement. Sure. I was curious, um, like maybe they said, okay, at this point in the story, it's okay to switch artists because there's a change in the story that we can play off subtly. No, no, because they really switched at an odd point. Like uh, George Perez even did a few pages into issue four and was replaced during issue four. So, uh, sure. Yeah, I, I didn't. If, if it was there, it wasn't something I took note of when I was reading it. And George Perez still was involved. He he inked or provided art on the covers, so he wasn't totally out of it. Uh, keep in mind, he was writing and drawing Wonder Woman, so that took up a lot of his time. But he did, you know, wanted to be involved because he liked the story. So he did work on the covers with Ron Lim for the rest of the series. So he's still in there, but just not, you know... Uh, as much as some of us may want him to be. Yeah, continuing to do the covers is uh, something that a lot of books do sometimes when an artist leaves, but they keep them on the covers so that when people walk into the store and they're expecting to see that artist, they do still see them. Oh, that makes good sense. Okay, I hadn't really thought about it that way before. Yeah. This book also had a lot of other people that contributed to it. So we've got the inkers, and the main inker on this one was Joseph Rubenstein, Uh, Have you guys ever heard of him before? I haven't. Mark, Mm. what about you? Uh, No, no. No? Well, he was a pretty prolific inker for Marvel in the 80s and the 90s. One of the books that he's most well-known for was the four-issue Wolverine miniseries with Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Oh, okay. Good company. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's a, you know, very well-regarded miniseries. They based one of the Wolverine movies off of it. But yeah, so he's in, he did the Marvel handbook. It was kind of like the DC's who's who, but he did it for Marvel uh, with all the, you know, the background of the characters. He did like the first volume of that, inking that. So he's, he's had a lot of work and is well-known. He's worked on a ton of Marvel stuff. And then there's also a couple other people who did ink on this. There was Tom Christopher and Bruce Solotoff. Right. And they they did some fill-in issues, uh, kind of backing up uh, Joseph Rubenstein. Uh, Bruce Solotoff, I looked him up, and he, he seemed like he was a fill-in inker. He didn't work on one series for a lot of issues. It looked like he kind of jumped in here and there. Uh, Tom Christopher was an inker on the Silver Surfer series with – Jim Starlin and Ron Lim. So he has some experience with the characters. And then we've got the colorists. The main colorist was Christy Scheel. Okay. Now, what work has she done before? So she was known for Daredevil. She did a lot Ooh. of stuff on Daredevil. Okay. Yeah. And she's like another colorist we talked about back with the um, New Teen Titans. She was a, a female colorist who did a lot of work. Um but with uh, our colorist here, Christy Scheel, once it moved to digital and people were using their computers to color stuff, she kind of got tired of that and moved on to painting landscape portraits and got out of comic books altogether. And she's done pretty huh. well with it from what I've read. Yep. Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Ian Laughlin and Evelyn Stein that right. worked on and- the color. Right, and they did a lot of coloring for Marvel. Uh, Ian worked a lot on the Adam Warlock series in the 90s, and Evelyn Stein worked on the Guardians of the Galaxy 90s series, which has your original Guardians like Yondu and Major Victory and those guys, not the Guardians that we know of 
today. But not the guardians that I'm familiar with since right. I came in late. <laughs> right, right. So we have a lot of people that worked on this book that had familiarity with the cosmic characters, which plays a big role in uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, obviously. So they had a a big team to handle a lot of characters. Now, the last artist that we're going to talk a little bit about now is the letterer. Mark, I'm curious from a creator standpoint, do you do your own lettering or do you use some kind of a computer program like a font or anything? Or does your artist do your lettering? How does that work for you? Yeah, at this point, most lettering is done via the computer. Uh, Most of them are pre-designed fonts. And so stylistically, what you're working with is just matching up the font to the art and maybe having a few special fonts for particular characters. I don't know of a lot of hand lettering that's done anymore just because it's so quick to do it on the computer and so much easier to correct if something's wrong or if you need to adjust or move something around. Now, Jason, was that something back then when Jack Morelli, the gentleman who was the letterer on this issue, did he use computers more or do you think he mostly did everything by hand? at that point? My guess is that at that time, it was probably by hand. Yeah, they'd still be doing them by hand back then. He was a letterer, but he was also a longtime staffer with Marvel. So he did lettering, but he did editing. And it seemed like he did kind of whatever else that they needed him to do. But he's gone on to work on some other comics. He won an award for lettering on Afterlife with Archie from a few years ago. Oh, okay. And another little neat fact about Jack Morelli is he is actually married to Christy Scheel, who was the colorist on this book. Really? I found that in my research. Yep. I wonder if they were married before this book or if they met on this book and then got married afterwards. That I couldn't (laughs) tell you. Uh, It wasn't on his Wikipedia page. And then I found an article about her, about women in comics. And it, you know, kind of at the end, almost as a footnote, it said that she's married to letterer Jack Morelli, but no detail about their relationship other than they're married. So I thought that was kind of a cool little little factoid. That is a nice little factoid. And that's one of the great things about doing these podcasts. We get to not only take the time to talk about the book and to talk about the characters and everything, but talking about the artists is a big thing for Drawn and Paneled. It's one of the reasons why it's one of our first segments when we open up these back issues, because without the artists, without the creators, we wouldn't have the books. That's absolutely right. Yeah, we'd just be looking at blank paper. The Joker must be apprehended and incarcerated. Who knows what dastardly crime he might perpetrate next? Very good, Mulligan. A 306 will be your first move. Now, hand me the hotline phone. Batman and Robin must be informed of this dire emergency that threatens Gotham City. Sorry to interrupt, Gen Xers, but this show will be done before you know it. And then what are you going to do? You're going to need something to fill your ear holes with. And we're here to be that uh, ear hole filling thing. We're Blockbuster Nostalgia. We're a movie podcast that's counting down the biggest hit films of the 1980s based on how much money they made. Because that'll show those dirty 80s commies. Each week we have a few drinks. Or a lot. And talk about a different classic film. Which inevitably leads us to rant about things like... Where Luke Skywalker kept his sex robots. What if Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon was in fact a Velociraptor? Who would win in a fight between Rocky Balboa or a Gundam? How the Winter Olympics should definitely feature rabid wolves on skis. We even cast Vin Diesel one time as a talking car in a Smoking a Bennett-style rom-com. And we pitch Paul Blart Part 3, the one where he's a Thundercat. We've been at it for two years now, so we have plenty of vulgar, definitely not for kids, fun for you to enjoy. From Die Hard and Dirty Dancing to Ferris Bueller and Star Wars, we've got your favorite 80s movies covered. Check us out on Facebook, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, for the characters in this book... There are several main players, and then there's a whole slew of people that are in the book, but not really very crucial to the story. Uh, Obviously, front and center, Thanos is the most important. This is really all about him. He's already acquired the Infinity Stones. He's got the gauntlet. Now it's just what does he want to do with it? And that, of course, is he wants to get the love of Lady Death, the actual embodiment of death. Right. And that's a little bit different from the movie that most of our listeners today might be familiar with, with the story. That's a different thing. And we talked a little bit about it in our Comic Sans episode where we reviewed this book as well. Thanos, the purple grimace of the cosmos, so to speak. (laughs) He's got a different motivation that we don't see at all in the film. I would have liked to have seen that 
motivation put into the film, but maybe they just didn't have the time to was, get um, everything in there because they yeah. And that's a yeah. little dark for mainstream audiences too. This guy that's in love with you know a skeleton woman um, is a, maybe mainstream audiences may not get used to that. I kind of see why they didn't go that route, but I, I am with you. I would have would have liked to have seen that or a little bit more, you know, alluded to it a little bit more than what they did. From a from a storytelling standpoint, with so many characters already involved, it makes a lot of sense not to introduce a ton of new elements. And so to add Lady Death in, you'd really need a background for her, where she comes from. You'd then have to explain a love motivation. So it, I, I thought they did a good job of managing to maintain Thanos's objective while creating a new reason for him wanting it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't I think I disagree with that it. at all, Mark. I mean, I think that in my opinion, it would have been an interesting thing to try and keep it with the original storyline, but I get what both of you are saying. And it would have added to, I mean, they already had to take this six issue story and break it up into two films and they were long films at that. Plus you're talking about the backstory. We have seen Thanos for several films, both in like small silhouette vignettes Mm -hmm. at the end of films, all the way to major roles in other films. So it's understandable that, we have his backstory. We knew who he was. People had started to look him up, I'm sure, and read about him long before this film came out. So I get why we can't do the same thing with Lady Death. That would have just been too major of a character. I, I'll concede the point that in the movies, they did a good job. I still really like the story from this <laughs> series a little bit more than the movies myself. Oh, yeah, I I agree with you on that. The closest they got to it was at the end of the first Avengers film when they reveal Thanos as the big bad in that, you know, the very first one. And when his, you know, flunky or whatever that guy was said to face, you know, the champions of Earth would mean to court death. And then Thanos Thanos turns around and smiles. That's kind of the closest they got to kind of a throwback (laughs) that, you know, Thanos, you know, has a thing with death. So that's a nice nudge wink. Now, one of the other characters that was very interesting character, I found him kind of to be, I don't know, he was, you could tell in a normal setting, he would be a major baddie for somebody to have to face. But in this setting, standing next to Thanos, he was kind of a weasel character almost was Mephisto. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they they had him play uh, very similar to um, Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings. That's what I was just thinking. I was just thinking that. I was trying to remember (laughs) that guy's name. (laughs) Yeah, he's just there the whole time whispering manipulative stuff. Uh, And ultimately, even though he's kind of on, he acts on Thanos' side trying to keep himself alive. He's also really trying to manipulate the guy to mess up. Because he doesn't want him to have all this power. Right. Right. And then also I was thinking a little bit like, um, what was the the character from Harry Potter series? I mean, not Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings, but the the guy who gets turned into the rat and he's Ron Weasley's rat for a long time, that character. It's oh, that same yeah. kind of like he's hovering at Voldemort's feet, just like Mephisto does with Thanos almost. That character, it's really kind of interesting because you can almost see the story through the evil person's side through that character a little bit more than you could through Thanos because Thanos is the super baddie that you don't want to relate to. But the Mephisto guy, part of you recognizes the will to survive and he'll do whatever he has to. Right. And he was kind of just like Mark said, you know, on Thanos' side, but like everybody in this book that we'll, you know, discuss later, uh, he was just, I think, holding out for his chance to make power too. But he definitely was kind of a true devil character too, with, you know, some of his temptation of Thanos and trying to make Thanos feel like he was a god and, you know, sucking up to him too. So, yeah, he was definitely an interesting part in this whole story. Now, you want to talk about somebody trying to make a power grab. Why don't we talk a little bit about Adam Warlock? Now, this is not a character we saw in the film. This is exclusive to the story arc in the book. But, man, that guy, I don't know whether I was supposed to like him or hate him. Yeah, he was uh, an odd one. Uh, And I, I think we'll get more to it when we talk about the synopsis. But, yeah, he sort of seems like he's the hero, but he's he's kind of a being all 
unto himself. He's, you know, he seems like he knows everything, but yeah, he's, he's not super trustworthy. What, what did you think, Mark? Yeah, I agree. He was kind of annoying and he was willing to use everybody as a piece on the chessboard that he was willing to lose in order to win. And then ultimately having the goal of taking all the power for himself, though, Right. You're supposed to trust he's going to do right with it. Right. He was in it for his own game. Like you said, a chessboard with pieces. That's really how he was viewing the whole thing. One of those pieces that I really like, it was a character that I enjoyed as a young lad, just the image of him. I didn't really read a lot of the books, but I would see this character on the covers when I would go to the grocery store with mom and dad. This character really stood out with Silver Surfer. As far as the main characters, he's kind of one of the you know good guys that stands strong throughout. Uh, he's shown as very trustworthy, willing to do the right thing. Uh, he's the one that you know, warns Doctor Strange and the other heroes that Thanos is coming. And I'm with you. I haven't read a whole lot of Silver Surfer, but he's a character as a kid. I always thought he just looked really cool. He's just got a cool character design for somebody that's just all silver with, you know, a silver Speedo. He still looks cool. (laughs) Yeah. And the idea of just flying through space on a surfboard. Surfboard. Yeah, that's awesome. Especially as a, you know, when you're a young man, you know, you see that guy and he's just swooshing through space on the cover. Maybe the opposite of the impressiveness of Silver Surfer was probably Nebula. I really like this character, though. I to me, she was she was my favorite character in this story arc. Nebula, you know, she's the daughter of Thanos, and there's a lot of torturing going on and whatnot that we might talk about a little bit later on during the book synopsis. But man, that character really held her own in this, even more than like Gamora did in the movie. Yeah, Nebula really shines in this, but that that character goes through the ringer in this story. She has ups and downs throughout the whole thing. Mark, are you familiar with Nebula that much besides this story arc? I mean, yeah, I also am not real familiar with her. So this story was really the only place I encountered her in the movie version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, she kind of takes a back seat to Gamora a lot, right? Which truthfully isn't really fair. The character is very complex and the character has a great rich history and background and everything. I, I understand that there's an actress who's playing Gamora that everybody loves and she's great. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. And that's yeah. why. And plus she was the main character in those films. So she's going to get more screen time, which means she's going to get more elevation in people's eyes. But the Nebula character to be, I don't know why I've been drawn to that character way more than the Gamora character over the years of being a fan of the the guardians of the galaxy films. So she, this book, when I read it made me want to go out and read more stuff on Nebula. I haven't gotten around to it yet because we only read like 500 comic books a week here at drawn and Panel. Right. <laughs> but she's definitely on the top of my list of characters. I want to go back and do some research on. Oh yeah, definitely. Now one that I don't have to do any research on, or at least a group of characters are the Avengers and they are prominent throughout this book. Right? Oh Yeah. Definitely, we got Captain Captain America, Thor, uh, Spider-Man, the Hulk, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, the list goes on and on. But yet they're all there in all of their glory for sure. Yeah. But like you were saying, Mark, they're not there right away. But they really, their role in this is almost like the other two hobbits in the Lord of the Rings. Like they're along (laughs) for the ride. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, Um, that's that's accurate, though. I mean, really, they're just kind of cannon fodder almost. They're really not the Avengers that, you know, from their own title. They're not the Captain America. They're not, you know, busting down the doors and winning the day or saving the day or anything. They're really out of their league at this point. I mean, they are not cosmic entities whatsoever. They're Mm -hmm. not world, you know, universe galaxy travelers or anything. They really should have just stayed the hell home. Captain America jumps in. Thanos just shatters his unbreakable shield. Wolverine leaps in for his death blow. And Thanos goes, yeah, that'll heal. And just swats him away. (laughs) You know, right. they, They really aren't on the level. I think their role in this wasn't too far off um, like it was in the movie because really they jump in to fight to save the world or avenge the world, but they really don't have any idea what they're up against or what's really going on. You're used to the Avengers at this point in history in the comic book world. You're used to the Avengers being able to 
handle most situations, defend the earth whenever it's necessary. But in this case, they were totally outclassed. Now, one of the groups that they're outclassed by that are on their side, though, are the cosmic entities. Oh, yeah. And it's a who's who of cosmic entities uh, that Warlock tries to recruit to defeat Thanos. Uh, You've got Galactus, the world devourer, which I think most people are familiar with him in one way or the other. But there was a lot in there that I wasn't familiar with, like chaos and order, Mm -hmm. love and hate, uh, Kronos, eternity. There's a lot of uh, entities in the Marvel Universe. Uh, What did you (laughs) think about those guys, Mark? In my comic reading, I'm usually, I like the guys that are on the ground level Mm -hmm. and maybe the people a little more powerful. So the people like the Living Tribunal and Eternity, uh, I usually just don't know a lot about. And so they're a mystery to me when they show up and they're all powerful. And even they had had their problems. It's hard to relate to those characters as mere mortals relating to a love or hate cosmic entity or those kinds of things. It's not something that a young child, especially we're talking, most of us are going to read these comic books very heavily when we're ages of like eight to 15 in that range. You're not going to relate to that character. It's going to look awesome. And you're going to think, Oh wow, that would be so cool if I was one maybe, but relating to that character and really finding a connection, something that you'll want to buy that book issue after issue you're not going to do that, and maybe that's why they don't really have their own series too often. No, they usually don't. Yeah, they're just kind of background characters here and there. Now, one character that may have been in the background but was certainly prominent in Thanos's eyes was Lady Death. Oh, yes, and she's a hard woman to please. She, <laughs> <laughs> she just didn't seem happy with anything he did. No, not at all, and maybe that's a good thing. Because without her spurring the story along, we wouldn't have had Thanos do all the things that he did in this story arc that really made this story jump completely off the pages. Right. Yeah. And he just, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about her other than that she just, I think she just likes death and likes to play Thanos. You know, what do you think, Mark? Yeah. One thing I thought that was interesting is how much she looked like Raven. Right. And with having George Perez be the artist. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's what I was thinking, too. Like, I really picked up on that very quickly. You can tell that was must have been an inspiration. I mean, we know Raven is the daughter of a evil god, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. there's no doubt that he had her in mind when he was creating this character's look. Yeah. And then (laughs) death is almost just like the, in this, like the horrible girlfriend who just won't be happy no matter what you do. And uh, Thanos just being the sucker who keeps trying. Well, you know, we've, we've all been down that path in our dating lives at one point or another, I'm sure. But at least with this book, we get an awesome story to go along with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Imprisoned in a cell, the Hulk tears at the steel bars. They twist, bend, break. Huckleberry Comics is a publisher working on creating the most innovative and unique graphic novels, one-shots, manga, tabletop games, and even eventually video games. Right now, we're working on getting ready to launch Dream State Radicals, a project which has taken 18 artists over two years to create. It's a gritty sci-fi thriller in the vein of Dusex, Blade Runner, Detroit, and so many more. It's an awesome graphic novel with tons of free concept art, and will be launching on Indiegogo early 2019. Follow us on Twitter, at HuckleberryDSR, like us on Facebook, or check out our website to learn more. Gentlemen, we have talked long and hard about these characters, and the last character we were talking about is Lady Death. So let's jump into the story, which basically is Thanos just trying to please Lady Death. That's what drives the whole thing throughout the entire six issues. Yes, he's trying to please her. He's in love with her. And it seems like everything he does just makes her more annoyed and makes him try just a little bit harder. It was almost showing his weakness a little bit every time he was trying to please her. It was almost like a begging, whining kind of a thing for him that it wasn't the 
you know, the sure of himself Thanos that he is in even the first few panels of the first couple of pages where he's talking about, I don't make any bad decisions. I'm perfect and all this kind of stuff. But then when he's talking to Lady, what, what would you have me do to prove my love? And I'll like, I'm like, really? Come on, dude. You were just telling Mephisto how, please, I'll do yeah, anything. You're just talking to Mephisto about how great you were and everything. And now you're just this little wimp. What's going on with that? I actually, for a little bit of context, read uh, the Thanos quest. And he had promised Lady Death to kill half the universe for her, but he sort of changed up his plan with getting the gauntlet and decided to, you know, do what he did by uh, snapping. Uh, he was trying to keep it a secret from her, and she kept spying on him and showing up, and he was getting annoyed with her, but he still is in her service and considers her a paramour which for uh, the young kids that's a love interest or girlfriend <laughs> um so he's he's a very conflicted uh, purple dude for sure now you talked about the snap the snap is something that is now forever part of the marvel cinematic universe it's part of this story this is essentially if i'm not mistaken where thanos just snaps his fingers half of the universe disappears. Yes, absolutely. Just just with the snap of his fingers, half the universe or the population, as you said, is absolutely gone. And with the book, it's just you see a snap and then the next issue uh, brings just chaos. Uh, but you don't see the people disappear, but just the art that George Perez provides and Jim Starlin's dialogue, you, you know right away that something bad has happened, whereas the movie, people turn to dust. Um, it's a little more graphic than the, than the book. Well, sure. The movie is going to be more visual. I want to ask a quick question to both of you. Mark, I'm going to ask you first. If okay. you had the Infinity Gauntlet and you could uh -huh. snap your fingers and have anything happen that you want... Aside from destroying half the population of the universe, right, we'll right, put that of course, to the other side. Than doing that, because I, mean, I know that's, that's always been a goal of yours. Yeah. Well, that'd that'd be, that'd be know. first. <laughs> but after that, but after that, what would be the one thing you would want to have happen when you did your snap? Boy, it it would take time uh, from having a political background and my parents being involved in education. Those are probably the things I'd start thinking of. It's like <laughs> how could I how could I improve the school system and make, give people a greater level of education and more self determination, greater ability to get back to like the common man creating his own destiny with his own two hands. All uh, right, so you're going shoot. altruistic with it then, right? Yeah, and yet I would want to avoid being a tyrant while trying to get rid of tyrants. That would be <laughs> a bit of a conflict wow. there. <laughs> You've thought a lot Jason, about this. Apparently, he's been prepared. Jason, what about you? If you had your snap, what would happen with Crackle and Pop right afterwards? I would have two copies of Amazing Fantasy 15, <laughs> the first appearance of Spider-Man, <laughs> fall in my lap so I could keep one and sell the other. So, wow. Yeah. Now, would these be comic two created right copies there, folks? or two copies that already existed and you're literally stealing them from some other people? Uh, it, now, it, see, there's it, Mr. Altruism coming in yeah, and checking you a Mark, little bit. that is just tiny, tiny little details. You it's know? Too, too small of a detail for someone <laughs> with the Infinite Gauntlet. Yeah. Now, if I was Thanos at the end, though, I would have retired to a puppy farm, not a regular farm. So, George, what would you do if you had the Infinity Gauntlet? Well, you know, since I was coming up with a question to ask mm -hmm. you guys, I thought long and hard about this for the last 35 seconds. <laughs> and in that 35 seconds, I think I decided that I would like to go back in time and see what would happen with my life if I made a couple of different choices with some of the things that I did with sports because I just like to see how my life path would go sort of like a tapestry from Star Trek, the next generation, that episode where Picard got to go back in time. And instead of getting stabbed in the heart, he mediated the argument that he was having with the group of aliens and his whole life was completely different. Now it didn't turn out good. He decided, right. Nope, I wish I would have gotten stabbed in the heart, but it would be interesting to see that kind of a series mm. of events unfold if you could make a different decision just by the snap of your fingers. It'd oh, also be sure. kind of neat to see if you could do that 
going forward, like if you somehow retain the infinity gauntlet through those different decision matrix, if you could then say like, okay, well, I've got a choice between this or that. Let me snap my fingers and see what happens if I do both of them. You know, like see where my life goes if I do this one or where my life goes if I do that one. That would be kind of interesting to me because I'm always thinking about those different decision points in my life. Wow. And now I feel really shallow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You got one guy who wants to educate the world's population and another guy who wants to change his life for different choices and patterns. And you just want a couple of comic books, man. What's wrong with you? Well, one's to keep and one's to sell. Jason's pretty much the Ringo star of the group. (laughs) Wow. All right, Mark, it was nice having you on the show. Um. Wow. I think somebody's about to get kicked from the room. All right. Before we do that, though, we've got some more stuff we need to talk about. Let's first talk about a guy we mentioned earlier on, Adam Warlock. Now, Adam Warlock, we talked about it a little bit. He had a specific plan in mind, and he went through this plan methodically. He placed those chess pieces, Mark, as you mentioned earlier, throughout the whole cosmic game board, so to speak. So what did you think of Warlock's plan? How did it fit with your reading of the story? It seemed like a whole lot of details for very little effect. Like, I'm just going to throw a whole lot of little stuff at Thanos that doesn't really do anything, hoping to create this fraction of a second distraction that's going to allow Silver Surfer to ride in and steal the gauntlet. That wasn't a good plan. It was a terrible plan. Right. Uh, I I mean, I, I definitely think there were better plans. Like if you were to replace Mephisto and start being more manipulative and get Thanos to mess up that way. Yeah, it it, was weird. Yeah, it was weird. uh, But I I really liked following it as I was reading the book because as a kid, I collected the trading cards and, you know, they had like an Infinity Gauntlet card and it made Warlock to be like, you know, the golden hero, the, you know, the guy that was always against Thanos over the power of the gauntlet. And then reading this, it's like, man, this guy's a jerk. He acts like he's friends with, <laughs> he acts like he's friends with the Avengers and say, oh yeah, you know, pats him on the back. Y'all can take on Thanos and then Silver Surfer and I will be across the galaxy. Yeah, uh, he basically sells them to their death, right? Yeah, he says, we'll be over here and watching like, and then we'll- Silver Surfer, they, they can't really take on Thanos. <laughs> shh, shh, don't tell them. Yeah, <laughs> and then he tells Silver Surfer sitting there like, they're getting beat. I need to go in. I can really help them out. No, no, just wait. Just wait. It's not just your wait. time yet. Got, yeah, just wait. They got more dying to do. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. He just let them like, you know, Spider-Man gets his head smashed in and uh, Cyclops, his head gets put in a cube and he suffocates. I mean, it was some gruesome stuff that he put all those heroes through. Well, speaking of gruesome things, one of the more gruesome storylines, like a sub B storyline throughout the first couple of issues of the books was Nebula's role in her torture at the hand of Thanos. I mean, he really just put her through the ringer physically, emotionally, mentally. I mean, the whole nine yards just tortured this poor character to no end to the point where Reading this book now as an adult, I felt bad for that character. Like if I had seen that in the film, if that had been part of the Avengers film where they talked about Nebula being tortured so harshly by Thanos and showed some of that stuff on screen, I would have been uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable reading it in just a book form. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was. Yeah, she was a lot like Theon Greyjoy from uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. Tortured a yeah. lot. Maybe not that bad, but pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty, pretty bad. close, though. Yeah, close. I mean, yeah. He turned her into a zombie almost. Yeah. Yeah. And all twisted and combobulated and everything. I mean, they make allusions to it a little bit in the film in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where she talks about how when her and Gamora would fight, Thanos would take out her brain or pull her eye from her head or detach her arms, stuff like that. So Every you, time she you lost, heard some she'd of that torture of herself. Right. And, yeah. and he, he tortured her a little bit in the movie as well. I mean, she was uh, in his ship getting tortured when I think Gamora came and got her. Mm-hmm. Or something. Yeah, she was like all kind of separated. The pieces over yes. were pulled apart like a Lego puzzle or something. Right. Not as yeah. bad as being zombified. Well, and not just zombified. I mean, all the other tortures that he put her throughout. Right. throughout. How many issues was it before she finally got loose of that torture? It was like the fourth issue, I think. Issue four or five. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, she, a, lo- a lot of pages dedicated to just him toying with her throughout the whole thing. Now, 
What's really cool is through that torture and through his arrogance, she does the one thing that Adam Warlock, Silver Surfer, the Avengers, none of them can do. She actually gets a hold of the Infinity Gauntlet, the only character to be able to steal it from Thanos, right? That's right. And then everybody attacks her. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, I mean, she admittedly, she makes some poor decisions, but yeah, everybody jumps on the bandwagon of, oh, oh we can't let her have this infinity gauntlet. She's crazy. Oh yeah. Well, she may be so, but yeah, she's. <laughs> well, and rightly so with what was done to her. Right. Yeah. If you have a dad like Thanos, uh, who knows? Or apparently a dad like Jason who only wants a couple of comic books. Oh, well, oh. I've been single for a long time. So, you know, comic books is like, you know, I don't know. Cut that out of the show. Oh, but. So if, they had, if they had had that in the movie where they're just beating at Thanos, the gauntlet gets taken. Oh, who's this? Nebula? Okay, now we're beating on that person. That would have been a funny shift in a movie form. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, it would have been weird. And, and again, I think you would have had to have done it as one continuous movie. It couldn't have been broken up into two films unless you were going to release them back to back a la The Matrix, maybe. Mm, and yeah. we all know how those two films went. They weren't exactly very popular. Wait, there were two other Matrix movies? Yeah. Yes, Mr. Oh, yeah. Two comic books. There were two other <laughs> yeah. Matrix films. <laughs> yeah, but not nearly as good as the first one. So, yeah. Yeah, right. No, not even close. I still rewatch The Matrix every now and then. But at the end of it all, where does Thanos decide to go when he's done doing his Thanos thing? He decides to head over to Old McDonald's Farm. Uh, yep. Just, he goes to just Old McDonald's Farm. farm. Now, does he kill half of his crop? <laughs> Every year, does he grow it up and then burn half of it down? I pick yeah, you. Yeah, there's too much crop. <laughs> yeah. You shall all die. <laughs> Who knows? I, I, I can't see him being a farmer, but I, I really, really liked the ending of this book with he more or less accepts defeat in Adam Warlock and Nebula Oh, not Nebula, Gamora go to visit him and he's on the farm mm -hmm. and they. Yeah, they I don't think Nebula is going to visit him after yeah, what he no, did to her. Yeah, no, Gamora, they go to visit him and they say, well, he's not going to do anything and he leaves. And Thanos is, you know, narrating the end of the book and says that, you know, he was outsmarted and defeated and that Adam Warlock now has the power of the gauntlet, but it was such a burden and everything that he thinks he's still got the upper hand uh, over Warlock because he doesn't have to, to carry that burden uh, anymore. And so I thought that was kind of cool. At the end of the previous Avengers film that we've been talking about so much in this podcast, mm -hmm. you kind of saw that on his face at the end when he had already done his snap and half the population had disappeared. That look that he has as he's looking over that sunrise, mm -hmm. it's almost like a ah, it's finally over. Like it was a burden of a quest to him, which that kind of ties into the feeling of this storyline when he talks to Adam Warlock at the end, him letting go of what he considered to be his life's work at that point, even though it was a completely twisted, demented life's work, he was definitely dedicated to seeing it through. And once he felt like he was done, it was like, okay, now I can sit back and grow some beats. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe grow a little beard to cover that chin. <laughs> yeah, really. How, how did you like the ending of the book? The ending of the book, yeah, it, that was a pretty good way to wrap it up with him going somewhere peaceful. And he got that little pep talk about how having ultimate power really wasn't going to be for him, that he ultimately would always defeat himself. Right. And I like how they were able to kind of duplicate that in the movie in the final scene of him going off to the farm. I, I liked that that beat was kept. Sure. Yes. Yeah. I really liked that they kept that part in the movie with him just sitting on the, <laughs> the steps staring at the sunset. And then the screen goes black and everybody in the audience has their jaws on the ground. Um, that was, yeah. Right. <laughs> it was good. Merciful Minerva. I will allow you to go home soon, Wonder Woman, to a world at war. <laughs> this week on Laser Time, the Internet's seventh leading pop culture podcast, the gang is tackling a brand new topic. As of 1984. Oh, yes. Um, what do you think? 
What do you think Phil Phillips, Prince Gary, not Prince Gary, Pastor Gary, <laughs> are going to have a problem with E.T.? Is there anything you can guess off the top of your head? Oh, man. Um, cross-dressing. Well, it's against violence. There is totally cross-dressing. <laughs> <laughs> Adamantly against cross-dressing. He, he saved that scorn for uh, someone else. Okay. but uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. What, do you, what can we say about him? Well, E.T. smashed box office records in 1982 by doing $318 million. It was a camouflage occult movie, including uh, levitation, psychic oh, healing, God. mind control, uh, mental telepathy. E.T. also included some inferences to homosexuality. What? No, it didn't. <laughs> no, it didn't. False. Let me see the part of your brain. That's he, he doesn't go on to elaborate. Oh, I was gonna say, like, well, you just paused it, so go on. There are he doesn't. There is not a hint of any kind of sexuality in this is entire film. Is it the mom's film. haircut? Uh, oh wait, no, he does kiss someone <laughs> while drunk. Jesus Christ, the '80s were weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the mom's haircut is a little gay. <laughs> I say this as having her haircut right now. <laughs> That's Laser Time. New every Monday on LaserTimePodcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other past episodes to drawn at genxgrownup.com. And find Finally, Drawn and Paneled is more than a podcast. You can find our other content on the Gen X Grown Up YouTube channel or our website at genxgrownup.com. And that will do it for another back issue edition of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. Woo-hoo. Gentlemen. Oh, man. It was so much fun talking about Infinity Gauntlet, Thanos, Nebula, The Snap, all the other stuff that we talked about this episode. Oh, yeah. It's an epic story. I mean, it's we could probably go days talking about this book. Now, before we get out of here, Mark, I want to say thank you very much for joining us and let everybody know where they can find Guano Guy. Yeah, Guano Guy. I'm getting Guano Guy up. It's going to be available on Indiegogo as part of their in-demand and also can be picked up from Comics Central, which is a pure PDF platform. Jason, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. And I'm going to snap my fingers right now and see which one of you disappears. Oh. (laughs) Well, with that, I will see you guys next time. See you guys later. Night. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.